0: Glorify your name. For it's in your matchless holy name we pray. Amen. Alright, alright. Have a seat, please. And I want to invite our children to come on. Up. I have a special message for you children today. If you're a child, come You're probably so excited to be back at school. Well, well okay. Your parents probably are excited for you to be back in the swing of things. That's what today's all about. That's what today is called back to school, back to church. So we're, we're talking about reconnecting with God. And I really do. I love God. I'm so thankful for Jesus. How about you guys? Did you guys know that God, Thank you Right, so what happens when I plug this light into this extension cord? Light turns on, right? It's really bright light too. So there's only one problem: is I can't, I can't seem to plug into this cord. It plugs in right here, right? That's the way it works. This thing is this blocking it? Okay. Let me give you this illustration. God desires for us to connect with him. God desires for us to walk with him. But we got a problem. We can't connect with God on our own, so we need some help. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to make it possible for us to connect with God. Our problem is we can't connect with God because of our sin. Our sin keeps us from connecting with God. Jesus came and provided an opportunity For our sins to be forgiven. Jesus came to provide us an opportunity to connect with God. What happened when I plugged that light in? It got really bright. Now, when we connect with God, we have a light inside of us. And the Bible says that we're to let that light shine. And we're supposed to show other people how they can connect with God. So, We shine that light up to the cross. We shine our light to Jesus and we tell other people, hey, God wants to connect with you. So how do we connect with God? Through who? Through Jesus. That's right. We need Jesus to connect with God. And that's what I'm going to talk about today. We're going to talk about connecting with God through Jesus. The word of the day today, if you're keeping track, is connect. All right? It's connect. So you can count how many times I say connect if you want to. All right. Thank you guys for coming up here. We're going to move on with the rest of the sermon. Go have your seat. Thank you. All right, congregation, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the New Testament book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews, that's in the New Testament. It's not a book maybe you've ever read or or thought about. The book of Hebrews is very interesting The book of Hebrews is a book in the Bible written to Jewish Christians or Hebrew Christians. And and in this book, the writer of Hebrews is trying to show the church that Jesus came and is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, the Old Testament sacrificial system. So what happened and what the Jews did to connect with God before Jesus came is they they followed what is called the law, and that's illustrated. It's described in the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, the the main thing, the, the main activity in their worship of God was the sacrifice of Jesus. Animals. So they would come to God with a repentant heart. They would offer an animal that blood was shed and that, that blood was shed in forgiveness of their sins. And so the problem is, is the Hebrews or the Jews, just like us, they continued to sin. And so regularly throughout the year, and especially on a, on a special holy day called the Day of Atonement, they would offer sacrifices in forgiveness of their sins and restore their connection with God. Now, the writer of the book of Hebrews writes this book to show the church that Jesus came as the one final sacrifice for our sins. That he is the one sacrifice, that his blood was poured out, that was shed on the cross. That the one that turns from sin and trusts in Jesus as the sacrifice or the Savior will, in fact, provide salvation for our sins and will connect us with God. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Back to school, back to church. It's a time for us to restart, reconnect with our way of life, right? So the summer's over, right? y'all you're done with your summer vacation. you're done with all the things that you enjoy over the summer and now it's time to get back to real life. Now it's by time for the kids to go back to school. It's time for you to get back into the swing of things at work. Uh, Summer is over. It's time to get back to regular life. And as we reconnect with those facets of regular life, it's also a good time for us to connect with God or to reconnect with Him. To reconnect with Him and to worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we're in Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Hebrews chapter 10. First in verses 17 and 18, Our writer describes for us how it's possible for us to have forgiveness of our sins through Jesus. Look at verse 17. He says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us and the reader here that Jesus offered once and for all the final sacrifice for our sins. So that's why, church, that's why on a Sunday morning we don't bring in a bull or a calf and and offer them as a sacrifice to God. Because Jesus' blood was shed once for all. One final sacrifice, offering forgiveness of sins for all who repent and trust in Jesus. And so maybe today, church, maybe today you just need to hear this. Through Jesus, you are forgiven. Through Jesus and the work that he did for you on the cross, you are forgiven. So stop trying to earn God's love and his forgiveness. Just like Jeffrey said at the beginning of one of those songs God's never going to love you any more than he does. He's never going to love you any less than he does. You don't need to earn his love. He gives his love for you as in accordance with his grace and mercy. If you've turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are forgiven. Just sit back and receive. God's grace and forgiveness today. Some of you need to hear that. You don't need to earn his love. There's nothing you're going to do to make him love you anymore. Through Jesus, you're forgiven. Through Jesus, you are forgiven. In Christ, you are justified and purified. You're redeemed and you await with joyful expectation the day that you will go home and be with him in heaven And now as a result of this great truth, our writer continues in verses 19 and 20 to declare several things that describe how Jesus provides a way for us to be forgiven. So we know that through him we're forgiven. How is that possible? Look at verses 19 through 21. It says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. We are forgiven because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Jesus is the one final, the great sacrifice. Specifically here in this text, the writer demonstrates how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament sacrificial system. Specifically, he's using an illustration and describing the way that they sacrificed for their sins on a very special Jewish holiday called the Day of Atonement. One day a year, the high priest would go into a special place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. The high priest was the only one allowed to go in that special room, which was separated between uh, the Holy of Holies and the rest of the temple by a veil. One day a year, the high priest would go in there and sacrifice on behalf of the Israelite people to make them right with God, to atone for their sins. He would go as their representatives. And the sacrifice that he offered would provide an opportunity for the people of Israel to be forgiven of their sins, for their relationship with God to be restored, and for them to reconnect with him. Now the presence of God dwelled on the mercy seat, which was located in the Holy of Holies, according to Exodus 25-22. And this yearly offering was given as a way to restore the Israelites' broken relationship with God. The relationship was broken because of their sin. Now what the author here of Hebrews says is Jesus is the one final sacrifice who entered into the presence of God and provided an opportunity for all people once and for all to be forgiven of their sins. Hebrews 9.12 describes Jesus' sacrifice It says, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So Jesus provided the one final sacrifice. And second, his sacrifice provides us with eternal life with God. Listen to verse 20 and 21 again. It says, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated... For us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus paved a new road, a new way for us to connect with God. There was a veil, as I said earlier, that separated the congregation from God's presence in the Holy of Holies. On the day when Jesus was crucified, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom, according to Matthew 27, 48. That event signified an important spiritual event that took place in that moment. Jesus, the ultimate great high priest, received the penalty for our sins. He took that penalty on our behalf from God and paved a way for us to be made right with God. He took your place on the cross and mine and ushered us into a new relationship with our God. You see, our sins are the veil. Just like on that extension cord, our sins are the veil that separates us from God and we have no way to remove that sin, right? But Jesus came and removed it for us Jesus entered into the presence of God the Father and now sits at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and provides a way, a road, a path for us to enter into our God's presence. Both here on this earth, spiritually, and then finally and eternally in the presence of God in heaven. He is our great high priest. His sacrifice provides the way for everlasting life. How many of y'all can solve the Rubik's Cube? You know what a Rubik's Cube is? Anybody? Oh man, I could tell by your moan. So we have a few. A few solvers of the Rubik's Cube. The rest of you just moaned when I brought it up. What if we said, no one eats lunch today until you solve the Rubik's Cube? We would all go hungry, Right? When I get that thing out, just looking at it makes me angry. I'm going to turn my back. Oh, it's on that TV too. I can't get away from it. The more I turn the Rubik's Cube, the worse it gets, right? Just when you think I got a few colors on one side, I realize I need more of these colors. I turn it, and then what I spent 20 minutes doing just goes away. Just, poof, it's gone. Two turns of that thing, everything I did for an hour is gone. It seems like the more I do, the worse it gets. Folks, that's the way it is when we try to work for God's love. When we try to make things right with God on our own, it really is impossible. But the, the, the good news is, is, we don't need to do it on our own. God didn't design for us to make things right with Him on our own. That's why He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to solve our problem with sin. And to provide forgiveness so we could connect with God. So first and foremost, and most, it's most important for me right now to compel you, church. Those of you in here who do not yet know Jesus, you can connect with God through Christ. You can be forgiven of sins. You can be restored to a right purpose. You can have peace that only comes from walking with the God who created you through jesus turn from your sin trust in jesus as your lord and savior and receive the forgiveness that comes from that and the peace that follows at the end of the service you'll have an opportunity to respond to that and i pray that you'll come forward if you do not yet know jesus as lord and savior at the end of the service come forward and i'll show you the pathway to forgiveness through jesus now what about the rest of us What about those of you hearing this part of the message? You're like, yes, yes, I know that. I know what Jesus did on the cross for me. I'm so thankful for that. Are you thankful for Jesus' forgiveness today? Anybody in this place thankful today? Amen. We're so thankful to receive by God's grace what we didn't deserve. What an awesome gift. That same God, he just doesn't stop pouring out his gifts upon us. I was just talking to somebody today before church, and she was praising God. God's blessings falling down on her this week with a job, with with transportation. God's so good, He gives us not only salvation, but oftentimes even the, the things we consider trivial in this life, God blesses us with oftentimes. So as believers who have been blessed by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior, what is the what's next for us? We're moving into fall. We're moving into this opportunity when we reconnect with, uh, you know, old friends, old, uh, you know, way of life during, during the semester when school is in session. Now, Now, what do we do? So the writer of Hebrews is going to give us three things. He's saying now... Because Jesus died on the cross for your sins, because you've been connected with the God of this universe, there's three things that God calls you to do. Number one, let us draw near to him. Look at verse 22 of our text. It says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God genuinely and sincerely. This is one of my favorite quotes to give in the summer, especially around lobster season. You can't snorkel for lobster from the boat. Right, Will? To snorkel for lobster, you have to take the plunge and jump out of your boat and get into the water. Or you have to walk from shore and walk into the water. But no matter what you think you're going to do, you've got to get out of the boat and get in the water if you want to catch some lobster, right? If you want to snorkel for lobster, you've got, to get in the boat. you've got to get out of the boat and get in the water. This is the same principle spiritually in this calling from this text for us to walk with God, to draw near to Him. You cannot both draw near to God and simultaneously draw near to the world. Why? Why? because they are diametrically opposed the ways of the world which, which are unbiblical unchrist-like ways I'm not describing everything in the world I'm talking about the ways of the world that contradict the word of God they're diametrically opposed to the ways of God so if we are to draw near to God we must draw away from the ways of the world So stop drawing near to the world and start drawing near to God. And if you are a believer in here today, you know what that means. Because you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, testifying, convicting, drawing you near to God. You know the way that God desires for you to go. God wants us to draw near to him every moment of every day to be in a relationship with Him, to walk with Him. Listen to His promises to us. James 4.8a says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's a pretty amazing promise. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Take that challenge, I dare you. Jeremiah 29.12-13 says, Then you will call upon me, And come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. If you seek after God, if you draw near to God, if you desire to know Him better, you know what's going to happen? God's going to show up. His promise, not mine. God's going to show up. In fact, the writer of Hebrews reminds us three times in this book to draw near to God when we seek God, when we draw near to Him, we can do so with full assurance of faith because of what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been restored and reconciled to God from Christ. That gives us the opportunity to know God in a deep and personal way, to draw near to Him. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, our our hearts have been sprinkled clean Our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now this writer is is going back to the process that the priests would use before they would make their offering to God. They would bathe and wash in water to demonstrate their desire to be clean before God. They would even be sprinkled from the blood of animals, which they used for their sacrifice as a demonstration of their repentance of sin and the cleansing power of that blood to forgive sin. Those of us that turn from sin and trust in Jesus have been washed by the pure, refining power of the Holy Spirit. And now we've been made right with God because the blood of Christ has been applied to us. The Bible says God no longer sees you, but He sees Jesus in you. You have been made into the righteousness of Christ, believer Are you washed in the blood? That's what Elijah Hoffman wondered as he wrote that hymn. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom cometh, Will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansions bright and be washed by the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin and be washed with the blood of the Lamb. There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed? Are you washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Through Jesus, we can draw near to God because we've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so, First Church, let us draw near to God. Jesus provided the way and now the opportunity To walk with God. Let us draw near to Him. Jesus connects us with God, and now we can draw near to Him. The same way that we connect with our friends on social media, we like social media, right? We like to connect with people on social media. The problem is, church, oftentimes we spend more time checking in on Facebook and Twitter, looking at our friends' social status, than we do connecting with God. Our God wants us to check in. Our God wants us to connect with Him. He wants us to tell us about the things that are on our heart the same way that we do on social media. But are we doing it? Draw near to God. Number two, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to Him. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. What does that mean to hold fast to something? I could tell you what it means. When Darlene and I moved down from Iowa, when we finished with our church plant there, we served in a local church while we were waiting for God to open up a door for our next ministry. Um, and uh, we served real young kids like right at the, the pre-potty trained. So we got them before they were potty trained, and then once we trained them, then we lost them. They went somewhere else. And um, I remember oftentimes that group that we got, that would be for many of them the first time mama or daddy brought them to the nursery. If you want to know what it means to hold fast, it's that grip that the baby has on mom or dad's shirt when they're trying to drop them off at the nursery. You know what I'm talking about. Or the grip that they get on your hair when you lean in too close. Anybody Testify about the grip that a baby can get. And their other jewelry, that's a good, yes. Their knuckles are white, and you're wondering if you're going to make it. How can a baby that small hold something so hard? That's what it means to hold fast. That's what this writer is trying to describe here. Only we're not holding fast to another person or jewelry or hair. We're holding fast to the confession of our hope. The confession of our hope, that is the gospel. That is the objective gospel. What do I mean by objective? That is the fact of what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection. That there is a man named Jesus from Nazareth. That he is both God and man. That he was sent by God. That he lived a perfect life on this earth. That he gave his life on the cross. That while he was on that cross, he received God's wrath for the penalty of our sins. That he died on that cross. That he was taken down from the cross. That he was buried in the ground. And that his body lie there for three days. And on the third day, he rose again back to life in fulfillment of the scriptures. And that one day, that Jesus is going to return Physically, in his body, to end this world and to usher in the new age that God has prophesied. That is the objective gospel. That is what we hold fast to. Notice that it is objective and not subjective. It is not up to you to decide who Jesus is or what he did. That's what God determined what happened and what did happen. It is not up to pop culture or media or your friends or family, to decide who Jesus is or what he did. It's what happened, and it's what we hold fast to. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. It's not subjective, and it's not uh, subject to shifting opinions and cultural influences. That is our hope. That is our stance. You can take the gospel away from me when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. We will hold fast to that gospel. We will not let it go. We will be not talked out of believing it because it's true. And because that's what God gave us. That's what we place the foundation of our life upon. It is not subject to shifting opinions of this culture or this world. And church, listen, if we held fast to the gospel in the same way that we hold fast to our beliefs about politics and social status and our way of life, this, this country would experience significant revival. I believe that to be true. How would the world change if as believers, every day, And in every circumstance, we held fast to the gospel. Unrelenting, unwavering, unswerving, following Jesus, holding fast to the gospel. Imagine the change. Imagine the revival. Why should we cling so hopefully to the truth of the gospel? Why should we place a foundation of our life upon it? Why should we determine in our hearts that we would never, ever leave that truth? The text tells us why. Because the God who promised it to us is faithful. Because of who God is, because of his nature, we serve a God who cannot lie, we serve a God who never changes. We serve a God who is righteous and perfect and good. We serve a God who always, always, always fulfills His promises. That same God will fulfill His promise to save you from your sins through Jesus Christ. That same God has given you His Holy Spirit as a guarantee and a reminder that you are His child. That same God will one day return in Jesus and take you home to be with Him. He is faithful. Hold fast to that promise. Hold fast to the gospel. Here's the struggle. The struggle is that we hold fast to the gospel and live our lives and walk with Jesus and the world and the ways of this world beckon us to leave that path, doesn't it? Am I right? Every day, is there not temptation? To depart from the gospel and God's calling upon your life. And 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 it's not always really easy to identify, right? It's usually just one little step over here. Maybe one more step over here. One more step over here. One more step over here. And then before we know it, we've departed from the path of righteousness. Instead, church, hold fast to the gospel. Don't let this world, don't let your heart, and don't let the people of this world lure you away from God's path of righteousness because the God who made these promises to you is faithful. He will not let you down and he'll always be with you. Luke 9, 61 and 62 says this. These are Jesus' words. It says another another also said, you know, there's all these people around Jesus and they're all promising Jesus what they're going to do. So verse 61, this one person says, Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. So this person wants to follow Jesus, but has a few things to take care of. Verse 62, but Jesus said to him, No one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's tough. When is the right time to hold fast to the gospel and follow Jesus? Now. Right now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not when we can get around to it. Right now. Right now. The calling upon our lives is now. Hold fast to the gospel and follow the Lord. Finally, the third thing let us love and do good works. So, as followers of Jesus who have received this infinitely valuable gift from God by his grace and mercy, are now called by God to do things. Look at verse 24. It says, says, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We have received an unearned, unwarranted, undeserved amount of grace from God through Jesus. And this salvation we receive, this grace we receive from God, this, this should compel us to develop a, a culture here in this church, a, a culture of love and good works and a desire to be together to worship him. So I want to just break that down just the last couple of minutes here. The first thing that we should be compelled to do because of this grace that we receive from God through Jesus, we should be compelled to develop a culture of love. According to John 3, 16, it was God's love that compelled him to send Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. It was God's love for us that compelled him to send Jesus. Then in John fifteen nine, Jesus tells us that, that he loves us the way that God loves him. And then in verse 12, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So God loved Jesus. And then Jesus loves us the same way God loves him. And now Jesus tells us, now listen, you're to love each other the same way that I loved you. In fact, our single greatest testimony uh, about our salvation, about the fact that we're born-again believers, is how we love one another. Did you know that? John 13, 35, Jesus says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I think that should be pretty easy, right? How are we going to show Key West that we're believers in Jesus? How are we going to demonstrate God's love? By the way we treat each other. By the way that we love one another in this church. Second, we should develop our, our God's love for us, God's grace for us through Jesus should compel us to develop a culture of good works. These are tangible, tangible expressions of care. Not just ideas. It's not a philosophy of good works. It's an actual demonstration of God's love by doing things for one another, like sharing a meal, by taking time to sit with someone and listen to them, you know, talk about maybe their their troubles, by spending time with people, developing relationships, so we should ask, well, what can I do, God? What can I do to, to develop a culture of good works here? It's not works, that, it's not works that earn your salvation. We already covered all that earlier. These are good works that demonstrate for others God's love for them through us. And then finally, develop a culture of expectant worship. The weekly worship service is an event that God uses to encourage, equip, and energize believers. You know, the tendency for people to stop going to church regularly is not a new thing. Sometimes we feel like, oh, you know, the, the sky is falling and, and where's the church gone? But the, the writer of Hebrews is writing this to Christians who stopped gathering for worship. So it, it's been a problem since the first century. And, and everybody kind of always thinks that their reason for not gathering regularly is like unique and special, and it's not. God has called us as believers, as Christians, to regularly gather with a body of believers to worship Him. Now, what's interesting, the Bible has a lot to say about what happens in the church. In this particular text of Hebrews, your reason for gathering and worshiping in the church, according to this part of the text, is to encourage the other people of the church. You've been gifted by God uniquely through His Holy Spirit. You have unique, special, very powerful spiritual gifts from God given to you. Now, the Bible describes in in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church that we're all this body, right? And and we're all parts of the body, like some are a finger, a hand, a foot, an ear, an eye, or whatever. And you're an integral part of the body because of who you are, because of your skills, because of your character, because of God's gifts. And you should be here worshiping because you have something special to offer the rest of us. Encouragement. And so we should come into church regularly in order to encourage the others in the church. There's just something special about the gathered body of believers, isn't there? It's unique. Energizing. We equip each other we help one another to excel in our walk with Christ. Jesus paid it all on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. He provided an opportunity for us to be saved and made right with God, to connect with God. And now, church, let me compel you to draw near to him. Draw near to the God who loves you. Hold fast to the gospel. Do not let the ways of this world Do not let this culture draw you away from the gospel. Stay on the path of righteousness. And then finally, let's work together. Let's work together to cultivate a culture of expectant worship. Let's be here worshiping together, using our gifts, encouraging other people. We serve a great, great God, a wonderful God. He is so, so wonderful. Good. Amen? Is he good? Yeah. Amen. All the time he's good. I can't think of any better way for us during this time as we seek to connect with God than to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we're going to have a few people transitioning now over here. Um, the Bible says that the Lord's Supper is something we do together as believers, and it's not something that we're to take lightly. In fact, it says that Celebrating the Lord's Supper is for believers. And so if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to participate. If you're not, I would ask you to abstain. But I want to I wholly invite you to come to faith in Jesus today. We are first to introspect ourselves before we take the Lord's Supper. So in just a minute, I'm going to give you guys a chance just to pray at your seat there. And I want to give you an opportunity to confess your sin to the Lord if there's anything standing between you and him, keeping you from connecting with God. Confess that to him and prepare your heart to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If there's anything that you have against anyone in this room that you want to go to them and you guys want to make it right, the Bible tells us we're to do that as well. But use this time to prepare your heart. Just a couple minutes to pray. If you've not yet um, obtained the elements, they're in the foyer. And so during this time of prayer, if you don't have the, the juice and the wafer, you can go to the foyer and grab one and then come back to your seat. But let's use this time as an opportunity to prepare our hearts and then in just a minute or two, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. let's first take the wafer out, please. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. The juice. When the supper had ended, he took the cup and said, This is the cup, the new covenant of my blood. Do this in memory of me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with my brothers and sisters today to celebrate what our Lord did for us on the cross. His body was broken, beaten, nailed to a cross, and left to die. But that was your plan for him, to redeem us. His blood was poured out. It was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. He was buried and rose on the third day, and one day he will return. So today we both celebrate our Lord's death, his resurrection, and his return. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand now. We're going to have a time of invitation. So if the Lord's laid anything on your heart today and you want to come forward, if you would like to come and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, come forward. And I'll show you how you can do that. If you want to come and pray at the altar, the altar will be open for you to do that as well. Whatever God's laid on your heart during this time, during this moment of decision, I want to encourage you to take that step of faith as we sing together.
1: Sweetest of your presence lord i've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is
0: Join me in uh, praying for our, the end of service and for our offering. Uh, just a reminder our, our ushers will be collecting the offering at the back of the church.